Yes. Sergeant Shaw? Who is this? Sergeant Raymond Shaw? Yes. Raymond Prentice Shaw? Yes. Listen. Hello and welcome to Narratively Speaking. God, is that that's over the top, isn't it? It's trying to make it interesting. Let's let's just not, shall we? Let's start again. Hello and welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harve, and you are getting sleepy. Your eyelids feel heavy as if some invisible phantom has hung large coins from them, weighing them down, down, down. You can hear your breathing in your ears slow, deep breaths getting slower, deeper, slower, deeper. You hear only my voice now. When I click my fingers, you'll wake up and you'll be fully alert but you'll feel a new urge to do something that was previously aberrant to you. When you wake up, you'll be helpless to resist the urge to subscribe. Click click like like. and rate this podcast five stars on iTunes. So, yeah, bruh, I think you passed out for a moment there. You all right? You back with me? Feeling any urges? No? Yeah. All right. Well, today we're talking about mind control. And, um, you know, mind control is a pretty familiar sort of topic. It's something that we see in the movies all the time, and we hear about it uh, on TV and in conspiracy theories. Mind control is something that I think is kind of, I don't know, misunderstood a lot, and and something that uh, we can really flesh out a lot more uh, in, in a podcast like this, where um, we can sort of, you know, delve into the crazy stuff. But we can also try to keep it grounded and realistic and, and look at, well, what, what types of techniques of mind control are actually effective, if any? You know, can our minds be controlled? It's one of those things that's it's a bit of a scary idea, isn't it? Because if someone could just snap their fingers and make you do something, then who are you? What is your consciousness if it can be controlled to such an extent? What is it all about? What is what is being human if we can just go into this kind of, I don't know, maintenance mode where we just accept commands like a robot? And I guess there's a reason why mind control is such an important element in a lot of the stories that we that we consume. It's it's a convenient plot device. Let's face it. It's uh, some way to get a character to do something that they wouldn't normally do or to get an event to happen that probably normally wouldn't happen. Let's face it, you don't really need to motivate your story, particularly if you have mind control as an element. It's almost like time travel where you can just have a character go back in time and fix everything. <coughs> Avengers Infinity War. <coughs> Sorry, I got something in my throat there. 
it's a convenient plot device, so it's really no surprise that it makes its way into a lot of popular culture. But the conspiracy theorists would have you believe that it's only in popular culture as a form of, I suppose, conditioning, and that this is actually a real thing that goes on. We've heard the saying that what the mind believes, the mind achieves. So do you believe in hypnosis? We are about to put it to the test. I cannot wait for this. Hypnosis is used for everything from battling depression to promoting weight loss, sometimes just plain entertainment. Professional hypnotist Richard Barker is here to try to put Al, Natalie, and Ellie under his spell while I remain conscious for the safety of this program. Um, so let's talk about hypnosis. We, we talked about some of the reasons it's used. What are we gonna do here today, though? So what we're gonna do is just demonstrate the power of the mind and the power of suggestion. You know, some people have a misconception as to what it is and what it isn't. So I'm just gonna hopefully you know, debunk some of the myths Richard, surrounding hypnosis. You were a police officer in the UK. How did you lead, yes. how'd this lead you to hypnotism? You know, some of the stuff that we did as detectives was neuro-linguistical programming. So some, you know, pattern behavior, mm -hmm. um, how the human mind operates, get inside the mind of a criminal. So some of that was, uh, you know, hypnotic training. So I'm sure you've seen shows like this before. They get the expert hypnotist in and uh, you get your skeptical uh, TV hosts to uh, undergo hypnotism. And of course, it invariably works and they end up barking like dogs or, you know, um, crawling on the floor or you know, clucking like chickens, whatever the hypnotist comes up with uh, that he thinks is going to be funny for the audience. So this is a clip from the Today Show. Um, and it's pretty disappointingly unsuccessful, I would say. He does manage to get Al Roker to howl at the moon, but I would imagine in Al Roker's case that, you know, he would do that anyway. So that's not really a big deal. He gets a couple of them to switch shoes. And uh, the most interesting part is he gets the lady on the left to try to not like ice cream as much by making her believe that it tastes like uh, an ashtray, I think he said. Um, and it doesn't work at all. He gives her some ice cream and says, how does that taste? And she just giggles and goes, it's delicious. I mean, um, oh no, it doesn't taste that good. But he tries to put a, a brave face on it anyway. It went very well. I think if uh, looking at the, the, the three subjects, definitely two out of the three were probably in a decent level of trance. And which one wasn't? Mm. <laughs> I, wait, we did not discuss it. Was it uh -huh. apparent that I was not under the mm. spell? A little, bit, a little bit more work, Ellie and I would say you would be fine. Okay. Yeah. I think the yeah. giveaway is when you tried the ice cream and it was supposed to be gross, and you're like, this is delicious. It was just You have a serious craving for that. Wow. So guys, guys, I, I thought that maybe it would taste like sand. It tasted like delicious vanilla, mm -hmm. gorgeous ice cream that I love. And maybe that's what this whole thing's based on. Is it just people's willingness to go along with something so that they don't embarrass the hypnotist? They're in front of a lot of people in these types of shows. Do they just want to, you know, entertain the crowd? Or is hypnotism something a lot deeper and, and mechanical in the human mind, something that can be accessed by anyone? So, Richard, what are some of the things you you, you, you're able to do with, with uh, hypnosis when you have people like this under? You know, the awesome thing about it is that if you want to make a positive change in your life, whatever that personally is to you, we can affect that change in the subconscious mind, whether it's weight mm. loss, stopping smoking, removing fears, phobias, anxiety. We can help the subconscious mind release any of those can problems. You, can you instill negative behavior? You, Easy. You what wouldn't you, want to do that, but, but you have you, a. You potentially could, but you have. Because this a, sounds like a plot. <laughs> I know, I know. 
I could hang around the ATMs all day. No, but you, you seriously have a, a moral protector built into your subconscious mind that protects you from negative suggestions. So if something goes against your moral fiber, yeah. or you uphold moral beliefs, mm -hmm. you'll reject the suggestion. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the question, isn't it? Could you put a negative uh, behavior in someone's mind using hypnosis? This guy, uh, Richard Barker, says that that's impossible. But that's not how they portrayed it in The Manchurian Candidate or the Bourne movies. And it's not the way it was presented in all the YouTube videos I found on the topic. Hi, I'm Tom Silver, and you've got hypnotism. When a person goes into hypnosis as a hypnotherapist and I get them used to the feelings of this relaxation and focused concentration, they tend to become more receptive. And in those real receptive states is where you can do some wonderful therapy, help people to lose weight, stop smoking, remove fears and phobias, create better focus and concentration. Usually it's positive. They feel good, they're energized, um, there's serotonin and, and different mind chemicals produced, so they get a lot of energy. We've heard about organizations that, that have, if we want to call it, uh, hypnotized or brainwashed somebody. Thinking back to the RFK assassination with Sirhan Sirhan, I believe his plea was that he was hypnotized, hypnotized by the CIA to kill Robert Kennedy. You know, a lot of people say, well, that's impossible, that can't happen. I tend to believe things like that can happen, and I do believe that things like that happen all the time. We just don't know that that's what's going on. And this is the major test that we are going to see if we can accomplish on the Discovery Channel Curiosity Series show Brainwash. We're going to see if we can program somebody to kill and maybe they wouldn't even remember it. So I saw this Discovery Channel documentary uh, a few years ago, and it, I found it pretty interesting. It's it's hammy as hell. Let's face it, it's got all this stupid uh, reality show music, and it's hard to believe that it's a credible scientific experiment. Um, and they even say that it's not. It's just you know one instance, and you would have to do you know double blind tests and uh, multiple subjects and all that sort of stuff to make it scientific. But in the show. They do find a guy who's um, susceptible enough to hypnosis that they can get him into a situation where he does, for all intents and purposes, assassinate another guy. Now, they use an airsoft gun and they use uh, like paint pellets to make it look like the guy gets shot, but he doesn't know that. So for the purposes of the show, they do demonstrate that someone was malleable enough to become an assassin and he did not remember or at least he claimed not to remember actually carrying out the assassination at the end of the experiment. And i got to say his acting, the way he reacts to it, he does seem quite sort of traumatized by it. Um, and he certainly doesn't overact. If anything, he doesn't react enough. But um, there's one moment in the show towards the end, which I think makes it feel quite genuine. So when I count to five, I want you to open your eyes, but I want you to remember this entire event. One, two, three, four, five, fully refreshed, remembering it now perfectly, right? Yeah, I do. What are you thinking right now? Uh, it's just still playing through my mind what happened. How do you feel? I'm still a little upset. Yeah, I can imagine you might be. Yeah. So what might help? Just see the guy. So yeah. let's bring him in. Come on in, man. Come on all the way, all the way in, man. I'm good. 
but all states act. That's all states. To me, that seems like uh, the concern that you would have once you've been through an ordeal like that. You would just want to see the guy that you thought that you'd shot because if you can remember it happening and you think it's real, of course, the only way to really convince you that it wasn't is to show you the guy and, and make you understand that he's still alive and okay. So I don't know. Look, it's, it's not uh, 100% proof either way. It's not scientific, but it is an interesting and certainly entertaining little documentary on the Discovery Channel. Um, the guy mentions uh, Sirhan Sirhan, who's responsible for the assassination of Robert Kennedy. And he's an interesting case too, one that comes up in a lot of conspiracy theories, of course. And his actual legal defense, I believe was that he was mind-controlled, that he was hypnotized by the CIA into doing the assassination. And it's pretty interesting to hear him talk on the subject. Well, what do you remember about the shooting, if you're willing to talk about that? I, I was, I, obviously I was there, but I don't remember the exact moment. I don't remember pulling my gun out of my body or whatever it was located and I don't remember aiming at, at any human being. Uh, I don't remember any of that in this prison. And and I've said that from the get go. Yeah, so I that I, so it's, it's not what that I'm trying you, to evade. No, I understand. If but, I uh, if I was to give you a piece of paper and a pencil and I wrote down one, two and three and I said, make a list for the people that maybe you feel that you've harmed. Who would be number one on the list? Well, definitely the, the, the Kennedy family and the, and the Kennedys. Uh, I, I would say that I would treat them all equally, and the victims uh, who, who were injured in this, and the, and the public, and, 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 and the Bobby Kennedy's friends, and the people who voted for this is This whole thing was a, it, it's a horrible nightmare, really, for not just for me, but for you people, and for the whole country, and especially for the, for the family members. And then Mr. Wiesel and others who were injured in this. So obviously that could just be Sirhan Sirhan's legal defense. And his lawyers told him to say that because it's their best chance of getting him off for the crime. And yeah, I'm completely open to that. However, uh, from what I can tell, he has always maintained that he doesn't remember the actual shooting. Now, again, even if that's true, you could also argue that there's another cause for it, like, uh, you know, it was traumatic, so he's blacked it out or whatever, you know. But um, it certainly is consistent with the idea that he was hypnotized or mind controlled in some way. And maybe I'm stupid for even believing that hypnosis could be real. Um, maybe, maybe this is something that everybody knows is just a stupid magic trick. I mean, is it like wrestling? Everybody knows it's fake, except for the idiot kid who just wants to believe in it, maybe. But if that's the case, why why is this myth even perpetuated at all? I I just don't understand, you know, why anyone would have even come up with it if there wasn't some kind of basis in reality for it. So let's just go on the hypothesis that hypnotism is an example of some kind of mind control. And obviously it's not like the Manchurian candidate type of, uh, you know, turning people into robots and making them do whatever you want. Um, but maybe there's somewhere in the middle where people become complicit. Uh, if you want someone to answer yes to a question, the best way to do it is ask them three questions first that you know the answer is yes. So you, you say, um, is your name John? And they'll say yes. And then you'll say, are you 50 years old? And then he'll say yes. 
And then you ask the question that you want him to say yes to. And he, he's more likely to say yes to the third one or the fourth one. Maybe mind control is a really subtle thing like that, where you can get people to do what you want using very, very simple psychological tricks and maybe just combining a lot of those tricks together in one go becomes a more powerful form of mind control. The mind control is not one item. What makes it so powerful is that they're taking every known technique of controlling a person and they're putting it into a recipe, a group package that's very sophisticatedly engineered. Full spectrum. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, as kids, we used to do a real simple type of mind control. We'd grab someone's arm and twist it behind their, their back and say, Unc say, uncle, you know. Well, they also use uh, phys physical threats against people. And if you start to think about each one of these types of, of mind control in themselves, they're almost sufficient to control a person. But if you add them together in a sophisticated package, that group package locks the person in. And that's the voice of Fritz Springmeier there uh, talking to Alex Jones. Thought put Alex Jones in there. You know, he, he doesn't have much of a platform anymore. He's been banned from all the social medias. So, you know, he can be on my little show. Six people will hear him. And, uh, you know, he only says two words or whatever, but uh, that's pretty good for him at the moment. Now, Fritz Springmeier is a really interesting dude. Uh, he does come across a little bit wacky, I must admit, uh, the way he talks. He doesn't speak with a lot of authority or confidence. However, he does have a background of being persecuted and mind controlled and so on and being in a pretty crazy world where he was uh, actually in prison for a period of time. Um, convicted for, I can't remember, for like tax infringement or something. Anyway, the, the shakiness in his voice is probably understandable considering the type of person that he is. And to me, he comes across as quite humble and grounded and not attention-seeking, which is a good thing. If you listen to someone like Alex Jones, you know he's a narcissist. You know he wants to be heard. He likes the sound of his own gravelly voice. Uh, and he loves screaming about syphilitic brained elites and false flag operations. So when you hear what he has to say, he's a shock jock. He's being sensational. Fritz Springmeier doesn't fit into that category, and I think it gives him credibility to an extent. Now, Fritz Springmeier wrote a book called something along the lines of uh, the Illuminati formula for creating an undetectable mind-controlled slave. Uh, yes, it's a bit of a mouthful, but um, he, he wrote this entire book that details the steps that the Illuminati apparently go through in order to create one of these monarch mind control slaves. We talked about MKUltra and so on a little bit on the previous podcast, so I don't want to go through the MKUltra stuff, but MKUltra apparently, according to conspiracy law, evolved into a program called Monarch. And Monarch is the program that conspiracy theorists claim are being used on celebrities and politicians and people in power right now, you know, in the current day. Fritz Springmeier is really the birthplace of all of that conspiracy theory activity because he wrote the book on it, quite literally. So I picked up the book and I... I'm not going to say I read it cover to cover, but I, I did read uh, quite a good chunk of it. 
And what I found was, uh, first of all, it starts with a disclaimer uh, where Fritz explains that there's that they're not going to bother sourcing any of the information in the book, which of course is a bit disappointing if it's anything that you're interested in, because he's basically saying, you can't trust anything that I'm saying here. I'm just going to tell you because that's way easier than trying to prove any of the stuff that I'm about to say. A little bit weak because what he's saying is really quite sensational um, and far-fetched. So uh, I would have liked to have seen some kind of references or quotes from real people uh, in the real world who could be verified and asked in interviews and so on. And then he goes on to explain the process of mind control. Now, it's a very repetitive book. I consider it quite poorly written, to be honest. Uh, it's, it's hard to read because he goes back and forth and he doesn't focus very well on the topic. Now, this is trauma-based mind control that he talks about. So uh, monarch mind control is trauma-based. It means that, um, uh, that the subjects who are put under mind control are done so by creating trauma um, via torture, electric shocks, um, sexual assault, things like that. And the trauma shatters their psyche into multiple personalities, which are malleable and programmable more so than the core personality. And I think maybe this goes back to the hypnotism idea where the hypnotists quite often say that you can't, get a person under hypnotism to do something that is against their moral code. Well, what if you created a new personality that didn't have that moral code, that was a blank slate? And look, let's look at this. I know that just sounds nuts. Uh, and, and it's nuts to me too. So, you know, we're in the, we're in the same boat here, uh, together, you know, in the middle of the ocean in a storm and we're all going to drown together. So let's, let's go with it a little bit. And, Let's talk about this idea first of fracturing uh, a, a person's psyche or core personality. Is this a plausible thing? Um, is it something that we can relate to in our own lives? Well, I, can, I sort of can in a way. Um, there's a couple of things, a couple of ways that I relate to it. One is uh, a little bit hard to talk about, but um, I went through a period of my life for about 10 years where I was drinking very, very heavily and I spent a lot of time in a state where I was a different person, or at least I felt like I was a different person. I would wake up the following morning uh, hungover and feeling horrible and people would tell me what I did or what I said and I had no recollection of it at all. I felt like there was another person inside me that would come out when I drank. And you'll hear this a lot from other uh, alcoholics or, or heavy drinkers. They'll talk about, you know, the evil guy inside them that comes out when they drink. So can we say that drinking is uh, related to dissociative identity disorder? Well, maybe we can. I mean, maybe the process of drinking copious amounts of alcohol is actually a traumatic experience for your brain. Think about it. I, I think about the brain in, in layers, right? We've got this outer layer, which is our consciousness and our ability to think. And it's where we live for the most part. But then you have these other parts of the brain as the brain's evolved over time. It started as the small, I think it's the amygdala, which is like the lizard brain. And all that was, was sort of animal responses. And then I imagine the brain uh, sort of grew in size. And as, as it did so, 
each outer layer, like like the, the the rings of a tree, became more complicated and more complicated and more complicated. So the outside area where we we feel is our consciousness would be the most complex part of the brain. So what if drinking copious amounts of alcohol actually terrifies that amygdala section of your brain or maybe other areas of the brain and and constitutes a trauma because trauma doesn't really happen in the conscious mind so much i remember times when uh, like one time when i was beaten up by a you know a gang of thugs in indonesia and the trauma didn't happen in my in the conscious part of my brain at all um, I didn't feel I, I was laughing. I was in the hospital uh, bleeding, getting my head stitched up and uh, making jokes to the nurse uh, as she did. So I wasn't at all traumatized. I never felt anything traumatic at all until later. And it seemed to come from the inside. Uh, there was just this a sudden feeling of fear and, and lack of safety and and violation that just sort of sprung up from inside me. It wasn't a result of a logical thought. It was the result of some subconscious thing that I'm not even aware of how it works, you know, how it is inside me. The point is I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and examining the inside of my own brain, obviously not physically, but um, watching my own thoughts essentially. And I find the idea of trauma-based mind control relatively plausible. I think the the process of fracturing personalities isn't as extreme as it sounds. I think it's something we do every day, just on a milder level. Like if you're trying to focus on a particular task, you'll switch modes in your brain to be the guy that's good at that task, or for you ladies, the girl that's good at that task. And, and you have these different modes which really are, they do have different personalities and attributes. If, if my girlfriend comes and talks to me while I'm focusing on something technical, she'll find that uh, I'm not as friendly at, at the interruption as I probably should be. But if I'm sitting watching a movie with her, um, it's a very different thing. In fact, I actually, I don't like her interrupting me then either. So maybe I just don't like being interrupted at all. But um, I think that small example is is a good way to understand how this kind of mind control could be possible. And, you know, you see a lot of stuff out there in conspiracy land, all these celebrity mind control glitches and all of this sort of garbage. Now, they're fascinating videos to watch. And to be honest, they're very hard to explain using just normal everyday science or logical thought. So maybe it's not quite as cut and dry or crazy sounding as, uh, you know, as, as it is in the conspiracy land, but maybe there is something to it. I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's just a fascinating topic to me. Um, how malleable is the mind? How can it be controlled and influenced? You know, MK Ultra and Monarch Mind Control and all the crazy stuff aside, there are people trying to influence you and manipulate you all the time. You know, it's happening in marketing, it's happening in your workplace, it's happening, even your social groups are manipulating you all the time. You know, peer pressure is a form of mind control. And it's something that we should be aware of when it's happening, because if we aren't aware of it, how are we ever going to break free and make sure that we're thinking for ourselves? You feel like every action you take has an equal and opposite reaction, just like the laws of physics, but 
At the same time, there's this fear or somehow an inner truth that says that's not true, that you don't really control the outcomes of things that are in your life. Sometimes it feels like you're just spinning out of control like a wayward planet in the middle of the galaxy somewhere or, or like a comet just hurtling through space. And there's nothing that you can do to change your trajectory. And I guess when I say you there, uh, I really mean me. And uh, I don't know if it's an experience that you share or if these are ideas that you share, but I'm just putting them out there, you know, taking a risk, saying something crazy. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Why not consider a crazy idea? You know, are we that afraid of of being ridiculed because of it? Uh, I'm not, or at least I try not to be. So I bring this stuff to you for your consideration. Um, to be honest, I have not covered uh, even probably half of the stuff that I had planned for this episode. I did do a fair bit of research for this one, and I've got a lot of other things queued up. So it's looking like there'll probably be a part two. Um, I actually skipped a lot of the less crazy stuff. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that at another time. I'm not sure if it'll be next week, but we'll certainly get back to this topic and uh, have a good look at how mind control is used in everyday life. And of course, how story plays a role in all the techniques that, uh, that are used to manipulate you. So until then, sit tight. Try to avoid the mind control, and I'll be back to talk to you again next week. Music